You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump and the administration look to ease the market volatility on trade concerns with China. Yes, they labeled China a currency manipulator. But could it get worse? What didn't they do? And will they do it? Jeffrey Wright is here from the Eurasia Group. He tracks all things U.S. and China trade relations. Plus, Republicans fear extinction in the suburbs over gun control. What exactly does the latest mass shootings over the weekend mean for the Second Amendment debate? We check in with a host uh, we check in, actually, with, with one Republican donor who is urging Republicans to distance themselves from the NRA. And an all-star political panel is here with me in studio. We've got Brianna Joy Gray. She is National Press Secretary to Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. And I hear that we're going to actually see an interview with Bernie Sanders and Cardi B. Yes, Cardi B and Bernie Sanders. I'm going to ask her about that and obviously about the policy as well. Antoine Seawright is back. He's a Democratic strategist, former senior advisor to Hillary Clinton in South Carolina. What's going on in South Carolina? Before we get to a jam-packed show, it was a wild day, another wild day, in terms of U.S.-China trade relations. The administration last evening, literally in the final minutes of our Sound On, Bloomberg Sound On broadcast announcing uh, that they had laid a, a currency manipulator. Uh, the administration spending all morning sending out the top economic advisors at the White House. I was there, including the National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow, to explain to reporters, to explain to markets, to explain to the American people precisely what it means to label China a currency manipulator. We have every angle covered. Brianna Joy Gray is Bernie Sanders' campaign national press secretary. She's with us in studio. Antoine Seawright is a Democrat, former advisor to the Clinton campaign in South Carolina. He's 
traveled up here to be with us in studio. And right, if you don't know his name, you know it now. He is a Eurasia Group analyst focusing primarily on Congress and U.S. fiscal, foreign trade, and regulatory policy. I will be candid here. His Eurasia Group note and his colleague Todd Mariano's note really is an apolitical look at what is going on, and it has really become a must-read in terms of my morning readings with regards to U.S.-China trade policy. So, Jeffrey Wright, what does it mean for President Trump, first and foremost, to label China as a currency manipulator in simple speak? The short answer is that it means not much. They're uh, going to – the Treasury statement said that they would consult with the IMF about what to do about China's uh, currency policy so that in the immediate term, it has very little impact. But it matters potentially in terms of what it uh, keeps Trump from doing in the meantime. And what does what does it keep Trump, President Trump from doing in the meantime? So there are a lot of reporting, including from Bloomberg, about Trump's interest in intervening in currency markets to weaken the dollar, which he has had some interest in for some time. So my view is that what Mnuchin did yesterday was in part an effort to sort of keep Trump away from those moves, which would be much, much more drastic in terms of the way. I was at the White House today when Larry Kudlow was briefing reporters about this, and he was adamant that the administration, as of now, has no desire nor inkling short-term to go into Forex or to, to utilize the ESF, the Exchange Stabilization, Stabilization Fund. Fund. Remember that, the Exchange Stabilization Fund. We're getting real wonky with it. <laughs> uh, at the Treasury Department to get involved in China's currency as of now. And that would be much more significant, would it not, uh, than, than this label that they've tacked on. That's right. The, the use of the ESF would be the first time that the U.S. has actively intervened to, in this case, weaken the dollar since the late 1980s when the, the Plaza Accords with Japan were um, uh, happening. If it sounds confusing, it is. And how it's playing out on the presidential campaign field in particular in a crowded Democratic presidential primary field is equally as fascinating because the politics, Brianna Gray, National Brianna Joy Gray, National <laughs> Press Secretary to Bernie Sanders, the politics of this on the left are just as confusing to me as they are on the right because some Republicans are critical of President Trump on how he's negotiating trade. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are similar – it's the – it's fascinating in the American political uh, ideological spectrum to, to kind of cover all of this. So from the Sanders campaign perspective, what do you, what is that what is the perception of how President Trump is negotiating with China? You know, there can be this kind of for for reasonable reasons, right? Because Donald Trump is the draconian off the wall um, character we've all become unfortunately familiar with over the past few years. You know, to have a response that says anything that Trump does, I'm going to do the opposite of. But that isn't exactly free thinking, reasonable policy approach. And so this is one of those areas where, you know, there is some agreement uh, between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump on trade. He has long advocated for um, um, China, China to be labeled a currency manipulator. But I think if you take a step, what's important here is that uh, Donald Trump, you know, won a lot of minds of Americans by uh, having a trade agenda where he said he was going to first and foremost protect American interests. Now, he lied about that. He hasn't lived up to that promise. But, you know, Bernie Sanders' uh, feelings about this is that, you know, the the Trump is now pushing for like a, a, a NAFTA 2.0 and that ultimately we need to have trade deals that protect the interests of the American people and that we need to stop giving um, 
federal government to stop giving contracts to companies that would ship American jobs overseas. And that's the part of this equation that really breaks through to vote who are concerned about what these candidates are doing to immediately impact their lives, who might not understand what's going on with FX markets, et cetera. Brianna Joy Gray here, making political sense of what it all means on the campaign of the U.S.-China trade talks. Antoine Seawright also here, Democratic strategist. So, and hasn't picked a, a, a candidate yet. You haven't picked a, sure. you haven't picked your hitched your whatever that expression is. Hitched, hitched the wagon yet. You always have the best expressions I, and I try to keep up. He came in and I was like, I need an iPhone charger and he's like, I got your apple juice and I was like, I didn't have, and then it hit me what he meant. <laughs> Getting it back on topic, you hear Brianna talk I about do. how there is this, this fascinating interesting dynamic where the political ideological lines are blurred in terms of the issue of trade policy. Well, I think that the one thing the president has been able to do um, he's demonstrated this time and time again is to hoodwink the American people that everything he does is for the little man or it benefits everyday working people or the people who, since they've been left out of this process. I think he's been very good at hoodwinking people about that. But when I look at trade and I look at the results of his approach to trade policy, what we do is know is the people who participate the least impact the most. Or impacted the most, and therefore, when 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 he does these trade negotiations with China, we're in the middle of this trade war. Everyday people pay more for services, and as a result, those people that he presented the argument he was advocating for end up being hurt as a result of that. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we're looking at um, uh, back-to-school shopping season coming up, and American consumers heading into stores for one of the biggest, bigger shopping days of the year, negatively impacted by the rising cost of you know goods, that, many of which are, are manufactured in China. And Donald Trump, at the, at the end of the day, has lied. He's misled the American people. He ran on a lot of false promises, and now it's incumbent on folks running in 2020 to point that out and not just knee-jerk um, disagree with him when a lot of American people don't actually know that he hasn't fulfilled his promises. I think it's the, the central tension for Trump as he goes into 2020 on this issue because, on one hand, he really benefited in 2016 from uh, being the candidate who was going to be toughest on China. But, on the other hand, he needs to maintain the strong economy to have any decent chance of winning in 2020. So the, the need to sort of balance those two imperatives, he doesn't want to be soft on China, but he doesn't want to push too far and hurt the economy. You know, I was struck by this. I was talking with the source at the Treasury Department earlier this afternoon uh, who who really raised this point, and, and uh, I, I'm curious for, for your take on this, Jeffrey Wright, because it forces Treasury Secretary Mnuchin to work with the International Monetary Fund. And we're talking about all the, the, the jockeying for the, for the positioning, for the fight for the Democratic Party. There's a transition of power happening right now at the IMF. So this puts the IMF front and center in all of this as well, too. It does. I, I think uh, whether conveniently or inconveniently, depending on where you're sitting, the IMF is in no position to actually make any changes on this issue. I mean, the, the Chinese are not taking their orders from the IMF. The, the Europeans and the Japanese, the other two major central banks in the world, are by no means united with the U.S. in terms of the need to weaken the dollar. So I, my guess is that the IMF is a, uh, a place to push Trump's concerns where they will uh, be sort of safe for a few months and not hurt anybody. And do you think that this puts any pressure on Jay Powell at the Federal Reserve? And you're, you're not in your head. Definitely. Uh, Powell was under substantial pressure beforehand, I think even more so now, because uh, he, Trump will push him to continue cutting rates, which would essentially 
accomplish some of the same the same things that Trump wanted to do by weakening the dollar. So, go ahead, Austin. Go ahead. Kevin, I think that sometimes those of us who are in this business, we talk at such a level um, that it gets lost to the everyday person and how it impacts them. When we talk about trade, if you ask the normal person on the street, they have no idea what trade means, right? Mm -hmm. But when you start talking about goods and services and they have to pay more for pencils or paper or pay more for their gas, that's when the rubber meets the road for everyday people. And one thing the president has been able to do, and Democrats have not mastered the art of holding him accountable for this, is saying that he's for these things and it's going to help them, but we haven't been able to pinpoint how it hurts them. And I think if we're going to be successful in 2020, I think we have to really match him pound for pound how he's hurt these people versus helping them. Coming up, we are going to talk more policy and politics with an all-star panel. Brianna Joy Gray from the Sanders campaign is here, Antoine Seawright, and Eurasia Group's Jeffrey Wright. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. A dizzying day on 24 hours in American trade policy. I guess with me here in studio, Eurasia Group's Jeffrey Wright. We also have got Democratic strategist Antoine Seawright and Brianna Joy Gray, who is the National Press Secretary to Bernie Sanders' campaign. We were talking earlier about trade, about U.S. and China, but you had alluded to USMCA and NAFTA 2.0. Mm-hmm. I was in Detroit, and I, first of all, I was a, the, the nerd in me, and not even nerd, like I was surprised that trade didn't get more pickup in the Motor City. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed, but not surprised. Look, when I was there about a week before the NAACP conference, I found myself in conversations about trade with various random members of the community that came up to strike up conversation with me um, at the conference. It's on the minds of average Americans in a way that I don't think is reflected by the political establishment. I mean, I think there is a sense that a certain kind of conversation can be wonky. But a conversation about jobs, I mean, when you're talking to people who live in industrial centers, they have a hyper-awareness of what trade policies and how are going on and how they affect their lives in a way that folks in the Beltway and on the coast and, and other kinds of communities don't fully understand. I want to pick up on this point because we were talking about this the other day over coffee about how there is a, a, the Beltway doesn't when, – when, when the Beltway talks about trade or when Wall Street talks about trade, they talk about, you know uh, – trading stocks. Mm -hmm. But when Americans talk about trade, whether it's in Delco, where I grew up, or in rural Vermont, where your boss is currently senator, Mm -hmm. or rural America, I mean, soybeans and the price sorghum, this is really impacting the farmer's ability to really, you know, provide for their family. I want to play for you what Larry Kudlow said. He's the director of the National Economic Council, said earlier today when he was briefing us reporters at the White House this morning. Take a listen to what he said about farmers in particular and how they're impacted by trade. And then I I want to get your response. Here's Larry Kudlow. We're planning for the Chinese to come here next month. Um, And if there's a good deal or good progress, he may reconsider some things. But similarly, he has also said If there's no good deal, no progress, he may also reconsider some things on the other side. So that was what he said. The Chinese are still planning to come here. What he said about farmers? Look, we are helping them with assistance 
as much as we can. Um, a lot of times the farmers, you know, don't like the assistance. They're hardy types. They're old-time free market work types. But we are sure we're helping them as much as we can. We will help them more if need be. When you are putting America in a position where we have trade deals that are not advantageous to working people, farmers, um, and then subsidizing people uh, on the back end, you know, he talks about farmers being self-sufficient and not wanting to take help, but we're putting people in a position where it's not, that's not what's happening, how it's been economically, right? So, you, again, you get in this situation where the, the a broken clock is, twi- uh, is right twice a day, and Donald- and there are people who talk about people who like Bernie and Donald Trump in 2016. I and could, that, and we talked about this. Right? I what could that, that be? And there are a lot of people who raise this negative implication that it's because Bernie Sanders is somehow um, engaged in the same kind of zealotry, right wing zealotry, that Donald Trump engaged in, which is patently and obviously untrue. Where there are some similarities is where in the rhetoric about trade and the desire to preserve the interests of American workers. And once again, I want to be really, really clear about the fact that I use the word rhetoric because when it comes to Donald Trump, that's all it is. It was a lot of bluster that didn't follow through with respect to policy. Bernie's has a long record of actually voting the right way on trade policies. And I think that that's what attracted Americans, especially Americans in the Midwest and states that went for Bernie Sanders and were continues to be extremely popular, why they're on his side. Brianna Joy Gray, she's National Secretary to Bernie <coughs> Sanders' presidential campaign. Jeffrey Wright is Eurasia Group analyst here. And, and, and I feel like I'm watching your mind formulate your next Eurasia Group note because what, what she just said is why my question to you now is if you're President Xi Jinping and you think that you're playing a long-term game, that you're going to out-Trump Trump in a one-term or a two-year presidency and wait till the next administration – well, there are progressives who, quite frankly, have shown in the past 10 years, five years, two years, that they are influencing the ideology of the Democratic Party. And on trade, case in point, there are similarities. There are. There are also Democrats in the field like Joe Biden who are uh, have much different views. Right. So uh, I don't honestly think, despite what Trump has said, that the Chinese play that game a whole lot of trying to think about who's going to be the next president and what deal they could get from them. I think if you're sitting in Beijing, the the much more worrying long-term development is about the way that both parties in the U.S., and especially the business community, are losing their interest in defending China, which even five years ago, the business community was China's best ally here. And the fact that that has changed in both parties relatively quickly I think he's a, a very connected development. For Jeffrey Wright, I know you have to get out of here. So just one final question to you, sir. What is the next development that you're watching between U.S.-China trade relations for the very short, like 24 to 48 hours? Uh, the big one is what happens, if anything, with licenses for U.S. companies to sell to Huawei, the uh, Chinese uh, telecom giant. So, uh, When's the deadline for that? Well, they said that they would issue licenses this week. They haven't done it, and I think they probably won't, given what happened uh, yesterday. But there's also looming the 19 August deadline to uh, renew the temporary general license for Huawei, which uh, could be another inflection point in this uh, struggle. This is just the beginning. Come out, panel stays. Eurasia Group's Jeffrey Wright, thanks for coming in. We appreciate you helping us translate all of the wonkiness for all of this. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify coming up or talk the NRA and its role 
in American politics, and one Republican donor is going to join us who is urging that Republicans distance themselves from the National Rifle Association. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We're saying to Leader McConnell, do the right thing. Gavel the Senate into an emergency session so we can take immediate action on the bipartisan, already passed gun legislation. That was Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, a Democrat from New York, speaking earlier uh, about the two mass shootings that transpired over the weekend, which has gripped the national attention uh, and calls for there to be some type of reform. Coming up, we're going to hear from Dan Eberhardt. He's CEO of Canary LLC, which is one of the largest independent oil field services companies in the United States. He's a Republican donor, a big-time Republican donor who supports President Trump and is urging the Republican Party to distance itself from the National Rifle Association. My guest with me here. In studio, Antoine Seawright, Democratic strategist, Brianna Joy Gray, Bernie Sanders campaign national press secretary, and Tyler Pager, Bloomberg News national political reporter. When he's not on the campaign trail, he hangs out here in Bloomberg studios. Tyler, how have all of the different president, Democratic presidential candidates been reacting to the mechanism presidential response to it? Yeah, it's great to be here in and I think we saw an escalation of rhetoric from the Democratic presidential candidates. They, a lot of them are shaking their candidacies on, on criticizing President Trump, but it really was in the past few days. We saw Beto O'Rourke cursing about it. We saw Cory Booker cursing. We saw Tim Ryan cursing. I think a lot of them have kind of just lost it with, with the inaction on gun control. Um, and and I think it's also unified the party to a certain extent. I think after uh, the, fir- the the debates, there was a lot of talk about the division over health care, about Medicare for all versus more moderate proposals for expanding Obamacare. And I think this is one event where we see kind of unification of, of the candidates over, over an issue that they largely agree upon. Brianna, what would s- uh, President Bernie Sanders do on the issue of gun control? Yeah, I, I think that he's, he said that on the news yesterday, you know, one, he thinks Mitch McConnell needs to reconvene the Senate to vote on common sense gun yeah. reform, right. um, to be really clear about that. And there's also a, a number of things you can do executive action-wise. You know, Bernie Sanders has l- voted repeatedly um, for, you know, uh, common sense gun regula- legislation, um, universal background checks, closing the um, gun show loophole. Um, and in addition, he's talked recently about uh, potentially having a federal buyback program. It's something that's been very successfully implemented in Australia. They did it once in the 90s 
season again in the early aughts, bought back something like 20% of all of the guns in Australia, and saw a dramatic decline in um, gun-related deaths, both suicides and homicides. You know, I lived through Charleston, South Carolina, no, you didn't. It's, it's, um, it's where so nine people were killed. Uh, one of them was a client, uh, a friend, uh, who I often, at least once a month, have to look his two daughters and his wife in the face um, about life after what it looks like. The fact that we're four years from that now and nothing has been done says everything that's what's wrong with the current environment in this country. What we know is the House Democrats <clears throat> have passed two pieces of legislation that is supported by 90% of the American people, Democrats and Republicans. Simple things. Uh, some would argue that it won't change a thing, but I would argue if it saves one life, if it saves some mother from having to plan a funeral or some father from having to attend a funeral, then we've done something. You know, Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania, my home state where I grew up, after the Sandy Hook massacre, uh, worked with Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, on the, the Manchin-Toomey-Toomey Manchin bipartisan gun legislation that didn't pass, wasn't able to get enough votes. Well, uh, Senator Pat Toomey is, is again speaking out, urging there to be a more uh, better gun laws. Uh, take a listen to what Senator Pat Toomey had to say earlier. The idea is a simple one. Focus on keeping guns out of the hands of people who have no business having guns in the first place. Those are violent criminals, the dangerously mentally ill, and terrorists. You know, this this has become a bit of a flashpoint in the conversation over the last few days. And, and that's the issue of mental illness. And I don't think that anyone would disagree that mental illness broadly is a concern in this country. I think it's a really important point to make that under Medicare for All, under Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill, that would also mean free psychological support, uh, free mental health care for all Americans. But unfortunately, Republicans repeatedly use mental health as a excuse not to pursue other kinds of reform that have been demonstrated as to be helpful in other countries and in America as well. What do you mean? Elaborate. So there's a way that they say what has caused this event, the but-for cause of, of these instances of violence is the mental health of the perpetrator. Mind you, they only speak that way when the perpetrator is a white American who they can't um, attribute, you know, other, you know, a religious or racial um, impetus to, right? So what you see is it becomes a pretext instead of a genuine, um, something that they're talking about at what seems to be genuine interest. So it's not that it's an either-or conversation, but there is a there is a pushback from the Democrats to say let's not make this conversation exclusively about mental illness because that's what you've been doing to prevent a conversation about the kinds of gun reform that are frankly um, supported by a majority of not just Republicans, but a majority of NRA members. Mm. Well, speaking of the National Rifle Association, joining us on the telephone line is Dan Eberhardt. He's CEO of Canary LLC, which is one of the largest independent oil field services companies in the United States. Dan is a Republican, a Republican donor who supports President Trump. And uh, Dan, first of all, thank you for being here. And, and I was reading on the Bloomberg Terminal today, just about you're quoted about uh, urging the Republicans to distance themselves from the National Rifle Association. Why is that so important? Well, I think that the, if the Republican Party doesn't, uh, um, you know, provide a little bit of distance between themselves and the NRA, I think we're going to lose suburban voters in mass even more than we did in the 2018 midterms. And I think it's important 
in that you know the gun violence is a, a systemic epi- is an epidemic right now and the republicans the democrats and everyone you know americans in general want a solution not just you know business as usual and the, the republicans have a habit of gun violence happens and there's condolences and kind of you know talking and, and thoughtfulness but here in the headlights on you know what are solutions what are they for to stop the problem and i think that that's where that's what needs to change so how do you do that? Because you know this. I mean, there are folks who support the NRA uh, who argue that if President Trump were to distance himself from this, that they would. I mean, I mean, you don't even have to go back. Even when when President Obama was in the White House after Sandy Hook and the role of the NRA in in that national conversation, how do you how do you get the moderates in the suburbs while distancing yourself from the NRA without alienating the NRA and having the reverse uh, policy outcome as what you're calling for? So it's, it's a matter of degrees. You can have a disagreement with a spouse and still love them. You can have a disagreement with a family member or a coworker and still respect them. I think the, the example or the model is, is Rick Scott when he was governor after Parkland, um, you know, pushed through uh, legislation through the Florida House that increased the uh, uh, minimum age to buy a gun from 18 to 21 and added uh, three-day waiting period. You know, those kind of moderate measures that are common sense, I think, you know, will show voters and show the American public that the Republicans want to be part of the solution. While it's, while they may upset the NRA, um, it, they help to provide, you know, space between space between the NRA and the political leaders in the Republican Party, but also provide solution to or are helpful to you know, eradicating this gun violence epidemic, and, and something needs to be done, frankly. Dan Eberhardt, CEO of LLC, at an airport waiting to board a flight. He's been so generous with his time. I've got one more question for you, Dan. A Republican donor sure. who supports President Trump urging the Republicans to distance themselves from the National Rifle Association. What, you know, yesterday we had Secretary Carson on from the administration, mm-hmm. and he was talking about uh, this has to be a bipartisan issue. When I talk to Democratic staffers up on Capitol Hill today, even in the leadership office, they urge that it be a bipartisan issue. How do we get this to be a, bipar- a nonpartisan issue? Well, I think we've got to stop talking past each other, and we've got to stop talking in echo chambers. I think that we need you know, more Democrats on Fox News. We need more Republicans on MSNBC. And we need to show the voters that, look, look, you know, every, everybody in the legislature can rise above, you know, the partisanship and drop the D and drop the R and provide solutions. That's what the American people want. I think this is a perfect place to start. I think this is a serious problem. And the solution really, um, involves people working together. And no, no one is for gun violence, right? It doesn't matter what your party affiliation is. I think the Republicans have got to stop having this kind of deer in the headlights look and waiting for the news cycle to pass, and I think they need to be part of the solution, or I think that they're going to be eradicated in, in, in the suburbs. All right, Dan Eberhardt, CEO of Canary LLC. He's a Republican donor who supports President Trump. Appreciate the time. And as a disclaimer, Michael Bloomberg, owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, founded and helps fund Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit that advocates for universal background checks and other gun violence prevention measures. Coming up, more politics and policy with Brianna Joy Gray, Bernie Sanders campaign national press secretary, Antoine Seawright, a Democrat strategist and Tyler Pager, Bloomberg's national 
campaign reporter. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guests with me here in studio, Brianna Joy Gray. She is Bernie Sanders campaign national press secretary, Antoine Seawright, Democratic strategist, former advisor to Hillary Clinton, senior advisor to Hillary Clinton in South Carolina. Still hasn't picked a candidate, Antoine. When are you going to pick a candidate? Uh, direction is more important than speed for me, Kevin. Uh, the always that has the best. He's like the Senator Kennedy of the left with the sayings. And Tyler Pager, Bloomberg national political reporter. We've got a couple minutes left, so I want to go around and do this segment that we do of what's on your radar. Looking at that maybe isn't in the news, isn't in the headlines, but is policy politically driven. Tyler, I'll start with you. What is on your radar? You're heading to Iowa tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow for the, morning. For the, for the uh, Iowa State Fair. What, what are you going to be looking for in Iowa? I'm going to be looking for, so the Quinnipiac poll came out today, and it showed um, a clear top three with Biden, Warren, and Sanders. And so I'm... I wish to, sorry to interrupt you, but Brianna's eyes, she's like, yes, mm-hmm, we are top tier three. Sorry. It's just yeah. like, really, no, she's and, like, yes, and so keep talking, what I'm going to be Tyler. looking for is, as the DNC um, qualifying senators for the next debate um, rise, and the deadline is August 28th, what are the bottom tier candidates that have not yet qualified, and also those ones in the middle, Harris, Buttigieg, judge, maybe Booker, um, what are they going to try to do to make their mark this weekend, um, which is the last big cattle call before August 28th? Curse and scream at the media. Um, Antoine Seawright, <laughs> Democratic strategist, what's on your radar? Uh, my radar for now is who will make some real investments uh, in South Carolina before the next debate. And I know I always Who talk, has? No, who has uh, that? I, I think all of them has, but I'm saying who's going to make a concert? Because I think you're starting to see things thin out a bit in this race. And so I think everybody still understands South Carolina is the priority. And so there are some who are venturing off that course because they realize they have to have some steam coming into South Carolina. But there are some who, who are going to make the battleground. Name names. Uh, I think Warren is focusing her attention elsewhere. I don't want to speak for the Sanders campaign, but I know that they have probably not focused in, as they probably should, in South Carolina. Oh my and, and I'm saying that very objectively. Uh, uh, well, what's on my radar is yes. that we're heading to South Carolina and other places later this month. Um, Senator Sanders will be there um, in late August, and I believe he's also going to be traveling with uh, some reporters from um, uh, the black press. Yes. Speaking of the black, who will be covering, by the way, just his trip and what it's like to be on the trail 24 hours with the, the candidate. In addition, later this week, we're actually headed to NABJ. That's the National Association mm-hmm. of Black Journalists. They do great work. Uh, Bernie Sanders is someone who's supported um, black institutions. We were in Cincinnati last month. Um, at an association for black publishers where we heard repeatedly that Bernie Sanders was the, one of the, the only campaign in 2016 that was seriously investing in the black press, um, especially in Ohio. And I think you see the influence when you see how strong he was in those Midwestern states. So you have an electability narrative, you're looking to those kind of things. So we're looking for a candidate. I'm personally, as a black woman, looking for a candidate who doesn't just show up in South Carolina because it's an election season, but who has long been talking about a 60-50 uh, state approach. All right, we got like literally less than and then we have a, a hard out 
But Cardi B. Cardi B. When do I when do I get to see Okay, first of all, I want the a Bernie Sanders interview. I'm got up in the universe. <laughs> Secondly, when do I get to watch the Bernie Sanders Cardi B interview? You, I think you'll see some snippets of it coming out later what this week. Ta- what are the, to- the can whole, you give us the topics? Look, they talk about issues that are important to working everyday um, black and brown people in this country disproportionately. It's no it's not a surprise. It shouldn't be surprising rather that Cardi B and other artists like Killer Mike artists that are like closer to their communities um, and in touch with what's going on with working class people are fans of Senator Sanders because Senator Sanders' agenda has been longstanding and it's one that speaks disproportionately to the interests of the people in this country who've been under the, the pundit class. I am volunteering <laughs> that I moderate a panel with Cardi B, ASAP Rocky, and Kanye West. <laughs> it would be Someone should do this panel, even if it isn't Kev. I think someone should do this because it's really been interesting to, it's interesting to cover. I want to thank Brianna Joy Gray of the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign for spending the hour with us. Of course, Antoine Seawright, a friend of the program, a Democratic strategist, my good friend and colleague Tyler Pager, a Bloomberg News national political reporter, and to the Eurasia Group's Jeffrey Seawright, as well as Dan Eberhardt. Uh, for calling in on the telephone. You can download the sound, the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Course, Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.